So today's scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Carissa, for reading that. Our teaching series to begin this year is called Liturgy for Life. And what we're doing is we're looking at each part of our worship service, i.e. our liturgy, and we're asking why. Why do we do it? Why do we do it week in and week out? And then we are asking what it would look like to have each part of our Sunday liturgy shape and form our daily liturgies from Monday through Saturday. This morning, we are going to look at two parts of our service that really go together, the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. And as I was preparing for this and talking with our staff about it, it's, uh, it was kind of more of the, a hard and awkward one to do because it's like you're preaching on preaching, you know. <laughs> we said, how far can that go? Preaching on preaching on what Paul was preaching to Timothy, and it goes on and on forever, very meta like that. Um, and I just have to say, I noticed a typo. Usually you don't call attention to typos in the bulletin, but there is a funny one here on the reflection quotes. I don't even know if it appeared on the slides. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a great quote on preaching. What is preaching? Login on fire. It's meant to say logic on fire. I don't think Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he was preaching in like the 30s, 40s, 1940s. He did not know what login was. So he did not say login on fire, but logic on fire. We'll talk about that later. We live in a very image-saturated world. Movies, shows, images, pictures. I mean, we all have however many pictures on our phones that we share and that we see every single day. But it's equally true, I would argue, that we live in a word-saturated world. More than ever before, one study, I think I shared this a number of, of months ago, one study estimated that the average person will see 490,000 words per day. And so one of the calculations that they use to come up with this is if you see 200 websites, even like a, uh, an email counts as one of those 200. 
They figured it out through some formula. I don't know if you like math. Figure it out. But they said 490,000 words per day. That's a lot. I want to start off, and this is something, kids, you can get involved with right now. If you have a pen, you can write this in the bulletin somewhere. How many words do you think are in the Bible? Total. This is like one of those jelly bean games. Guess how many jelly beans are in the jar? How many words are in the Bible total? It's a little bit hard to estimate. It depends on how you count, different translations, that sort of thing. But there are about 780,000 words in the Bible. So every day we encounter at about more than half, around half of the total words in the Bible. And you could say that our lives, the lives that we live, who we are, what we do is shaped and directed by the words that we encounter, the words that we pay attention to, and the words that we let in to our lives and believe that these words are true and trustworthy. For Christians, my Christian friends here, this is not a new concept. We believe that this book, the Bible, is the Word of God. Today, I want to, using 2 Timothy, the passage we just read, look at three questions. First, if it's true that this book is the Word of God, what does that mean, that the Bible is God's Word? Secondly, so then, if it is God's Word, why, when we get together, should we simply read it or hear it read like Carissa read this passage to us? Why do that? And then lastly, why do we have to hear it preached? So first, what is it? What is the Word of God? In 2 Timothy, a real quick background to this passage. We just jumped into the very last section, the very last chapter in this letter. It's a letter of the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to his friend, to his protege in ministry, somebody he knew very, very well, Timothy. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. He wrote a lot of letters while he was in prison, but this time it was different. And you can tell if you read this letter that Paul had a sense that this was it, that this was the end for him. This was the end of his life, that this imprisonment would end in him being put to death, in him being put to death for preaching, And he says to Timothy in this letter, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Here is the last thing that I want to say to you. Keep preaching. (laughs) Keep preaching the gospel no matter what. So you see, Paul is saying, I am about to die for preaching, Timothy. What I want you to do is preach. So that's the intensity of this letter. That's what's going on. When Timothy is reading it, he's saying, I'm being asked to do something that is risky, that could cost me even my life. But as we look at this text at the very beginning here in chapter 3, before Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, before he says, Timothy, I want you to do the thing that I'm in prison for first, he reminds Timothy of what the word is. 2 Timothy 3.16, if you look at that again with me, it says, Timothy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Let's just look at that. Paul says the sacred Scriptures are the Word of God. And he says all of it. Every part of it, every word of it, though written by human beings, is inspired by God. The word there is a combo word. Some people think Paul made this word up. He was searching for the right way to describe what is this word. And the word there literally is breathed out. The breathed out word of God, all of it. As the breathed out word of God then, it carries his presence, his authority, and his power. I'm going to unpack that throughout this message. His presence, his authority, and his power. My favorite illustration for this is something that I witnessed at the San Diego Zoo. I love the San Diego Zoo, but let me ask you if you've ever seen a lion roar. Has anybody seen a lion roar? A few people have, maybe at the San Diego Zoo. Um, I have once, and if you see it, you will not ever forget it. Usually, when you go to the zoo, you know, lions, usually lions are just lying there. That's a dad joke for all the kids. Pretty good, right? Pretty good. Okay, but this time around, we were there, and the lion was up. He was moving around. It was around dusk, and we were at the lion's enclosure, and he stood up. And he started roaring. And what I never knew when that was happening, it was so incredible, so powerful, but I never knew that you could see a lion's roar in its breath. So it's roaring and its breath is coming out. You see its breath come out and in between its roars, it's like breathing really heavily, doing that and all this breath is still coming out. The roar and the breath of the lion carries its power. If, you, if you're right there, you are, you are entranced by the power of the lion going, whoa, in awe. It carries the lion's undeniable presence. Sometimes, you know, if you're at the zoo and you're going, where's the, where's the lion? Oh, yeah, he's just lying over there and, you know, he's just sleeping. I don't even know if he's in there. But when the lion roars, his presence is undeniable. You know he is there and it carries great authority. If you're standing there and the lion is roaring, you go, he's in charge. <laughs> if there was no cage in between me and him, uh, he would be in charge of the situation, not me. And all of that is carried in the breath. The, the breath is really, the roar of a lion is really just his breath coming out, you know, through his vocal cords and that sort of thing. I think that's a great illustration of the word of God. That's what Paul is saying here. It's breathed out. The breathed out word of God, it carries his power. It contains his authority as God. And it's how he becomes undeniably present in every word he speaks. I'm going to talk more about the authority of God and the power of God in the next two points. But I want us to think a moment about the presence of God in his word. Now, some of us may wonder... When we're young, we wonder this all the way throughout our lives. If God is God, if God is really there, where is he? 
If God is out there, why does he feel so far away and so distant? How do I know he's there? If this is God's word, breathed out by him, then we believe And what Timothy is saying is that he is present in this word. And this makes some sense to us. We think about it like this. The only way that we are truly and fully present to another person in human relationships is through our word or our words. On a human level, you can't know anybody unless it's a two-sided relationship where you're speaking words to one another. You know, kids and parents, sometimes you're annoyed by your parents if you come home from school and they say, how was your day? Fine. What did you do? Good. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. The parent wants to hear your words so that they can know you. And if we have a relationship where one person, we can be with them forever and ever, they're there in our presence physically, but if they never speak, then you don't know them. They're not really fully present to you because our word is our self-revelation. Without our word, we're not fully present, but with our word, we reveal ourselves. It's how we become known to people. It's how we know other people. God's word, Paul is saying, is his self-revelation. When it is spoken and when we hear it, He is there. He is present. He's showing himself to us. Our Sunday liturgy, what we do week in and week out, is centered and built, therefore, on the Word. And our own personal liturgies, the rhythm and the shape of our days, should be centered on the Word because it's how God becomes present and reveals himself to us. So, following that, God will not be here in any meaningful way unless we open up his word and let him speak to us. You might say, well, God is omnipresent, and that is true. But this, it's, it's the same difference as if you know a person in your life is alive on this planet, they're somewhere You have find my iPhone and you know where they are. They're there, over there. But when they're present and speaking face to face and you're exchanging words with one another, then they're fully and truly present. In the same way, God is present when his word is opened. Many of us approach the word of God and we look at it first looking for God telling us This is what you should do. Open it up, and that's what we're looking to hear. But based on what Paul is saying here, all Scripture is breathed out by God. He's saying the first thing that we should be listening for is God telling us, this is who I am. How might that change things for you? If every time you heard the word, read the word, that instead of first listening for, what am I supposed to do? What am I doing wrong? Instead, you listen for God saying, this is who I am. How might that change things for you? On Sundays, 
and every day. Okay. So without the word, we know it's just us here on a Sunday. It's just us without God, without his word speaking and revealing himself to us. So secondly, why do we need to hear it read? If the word of God is how God reveals who he is and becomes present to us, the general idea of you should read it makes a lot of sense so that I can know him, so he can speak to me, so I can relate to him. But why read it together here in our gatherings on Sundays? There are not many places out there where people get together and somebody opens up a book and says, now I'm going to read to you, everybody. I mean, maybe there are book readings out there and that sort of thing, but this many people in a room and somebody says, let's read a book together. That's kind of strange when you think about it. It doesn't really happen. And in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he specifically told him, Read the Bible publicly in your gatherings. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Why? I want to zero in on one reason why. It comes down to authority. The issue of authority. We're in a crisis of authority in our modern world. What do I mean? Well, what one person says is misinformation, is absolute truth to another person. What one social media platform blocks, another person says, that's just a part of the conspiracy to keep truth from being out there. Some people say, my authority is CNN. Some people say, no, my authority is Fox News, and they're saying different things. On top of that, we have the failures and the abuses of leaders and institutions in churches, and in the government. All this creates a high degree of suspicion and distrust for authority. We try to solve this and go, okay, it's kind of a mess out there. We don't know who to believe. We don't know who to trust. So I am going to be my own authority. Let's just let everyone find their own truth and live their own truth. But Clearly, this hasn't worked. (laughs) Why do I say that? How do we know it doesn't work? Because we are so quick to judge and get angry at other people who are saying, this is my truth. And instead of saying, oh, of course, you can be your authority, live your truth, we say, no. I'm going to slam that idea. That idea is wrong and hateful and has no place. Should not even be spoken. And we all have that gut reaction to certain ideas that are shared out there. But I thought we could all be our own authority. But we know it doesn't work. To have truth, any meaningful truth, you have to have authority. You have to have something that says, this is what is true. This is what is not. And how do we know? Is it science? Is it reason? Is it consensus? This is the conundrum we're all living in right now in our modern world because we don't agree. So if you come to church and all we have is dialogue, dialogue and discussion, that's very, very important. The Bible says it's important. 
even if we have debate and we have disagreement here and we work that out, it's very, very important to do so. Even if you have teaching and preaching, that is important, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But if it's not clear, what is the tiebreaker? What is the final word? What is the authority? Then you don't really have truth. So Christianity teaches there is an authority. There is a way out of the mess and the conundrum of everybody being their own sole authority. And it is that the Bible is our authority. But you might say, okay, I've heard that before, I understand. But this is the reason, let me, this is the answer to why we read the Scriptures. This is the reason why it's important that we hear the Word of God read with no commentary, with nothing added, just hearing the Word of God. As a practice week in and week out that we do, we open up the Word and we listen to it being read so that it is absolutely clear what and who our authority is. Not me, not any other preacher, not even our statement of faith, none of those other things. We have to interpret, we have to explain the Bible, but none of those things are the authority only and solely. God who has spoken to us in His Word. That is our authority. And that's why, if you look at all the history of church services, the reading of the Word always happens first. Sometimes reading in many different places in the Scriptures before the Word is taught, explained, and preached. The order is important because the Word of God must be distinguished from the words of the preacher and other words spoken in the service. Some of us wonder, some of you may be wondering and struggling with this question, but how do I know it's really the Word of God if it's going to have that kind of authority in my life? How do I know? I have questions. I have doubts. Sometimes I struggle with it. I have issue with it. Let me return back to my lion illustration. When a lion is far away in the enclosure and it's lying in a heap and it's just like maybe over there in the grass or something, you know, how do I know? Is it there? I can't see it. Is that a lion? But when it's right there in the front of the enclosure and you're standing there five feet away and it is roaring, then you know it's a lion. That's all the proof you need. There are good arguments for why you should believe the Bible is the Word of God. I think there are good answers to the questions that you might have, and I would love to talk with you about that. But this passage shows us the best and the most sure way to know that the Bible is the Word of God and has authority in our lives. Look at verse 14. Timothy is told by Paul, continue in the Word of God. Continue reading it, Timothy. Continue hearing it. Timothy was facing all kinds of challenges. We can't go into everything that was happening there with him, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, at the very beginning of that chapter, and you can turn there if you have your Bible, just to give you a snapshot of what the context that Timothy lived in and, and was a leader and a pastor. And it says, Know this, Timothy, hard times will come in the last days. 
People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. That's a mouthful right there, but in that situation where essentially it says everybody was their own authority, they're doing whatever they want. Timothy, here's how you know there is authority in the Word of God. Continue reading it. Block out all other voices. Even other voices that say they are representing the Bible. Continue reading it and see if it roars. That's the best way. That's the best way to know. Paul says to him, continue in it. Continue in what? The sacred scriptures. You've known them since you were a kid, Timothy did, but continue reading them, continue hearing them, and then you will experience two things, their power and their profit. What will happen when we read the Word of God? What will it do? He says, the Scriptures have a certain ability. Read the Scriptures, continue in them, because they're able to do something. The word there where he says, which are able to, is the word dynamena. Get the word dynamite. There is power. There is ability. There is something in the Bible that it does, that it can do. There is some kind of power in it. What does it do? Which are able to give you the answers to shut others down and be right. No, he doesn't say that. Which are able to answer every question you have about God. To your satisfaction, every question you have about life, so you are an expert. He doesn't say that. Which are able to show you what you need to get God's blessing and the good things you want in life from God. What do I need to do? No, he doesn't say that. Which are able to give you the rules and the sins to avoid, to avoid God's punishment and displeasure. No, he doesn't say that either. Which are able to... Increase giving and grow your church and get started in five minutes. I say that because that's what popped up as I was studying this passage on the little Bible program I used. This little ad popped up. I said, wow, how ironic. None of that either. Which are able to, what does it say? What am I getting at? They're able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures have a power. And their power, Paul says, is that they are able to make you see and enable you to see who Jesus is and to trust him. Able to see in every situation, no matter what, there's nothing Jesus cannot rescue you from. There is nothing in no one beyond his grace and his power to save and the scriptures, when you get close to them and you continue in them, they will drive you, Paul says, time and time again to Jesus. If you continue in them, they will lead you to him. Jesus was dialoguing once with the Pharisees. This is in John chapter 5. 
And in John chapter 5, he was, they were basically saying, prove yourself to us. And he said in verse 39, these were the experts in the Bible, the experts in the Scriptures. He says, you pour over the Scriptures. You read them and you study them a lot because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me, he said. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Friends, this is the power of the Scriptures. When we continue in them, when we read them with an open heart and say, God, you are revealing yourself to me. What do you want me to see? Jesus tells us. They have the power, the dynamite, to lead us time and time again to come to Him. That is the power of the Bible. That is what it will do if you stay close to it. Secondly, more quickly, the prophet of the Bible. What will it do? What will you get out of it? Sometimes we say about sermons or about Bible studies or reading the Bible, I'm not getting anything out of it or I am getting something out of it. What does Paul say we are to get out of it? He says three things. You'll get taught, corrected, rebuked, and trained. Just look at those all together. In other words, you will get humbled. You will be shown what you don't know. You will be shown how to get back on the right track when you are off. You will be rebuked and challenged where you need to be and trained. And what Paul is saying here to Timothy, I didn't realize this until this week, when it says, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. It says you need to be taught, trained, corrected, and rebuked. So you would be, the man of God would be complete, whole, ready for every good work. He's saying that to Timothy. The man of God there is a, a bit of a technical title that is used of Moses, that's used of other people in the Old Testament who were called by God to be in a position of leadership and teaching. And if you look at 2 Timothy 4 a little bit further down in the verses to come, he says, then when you're preaching, then you can teach Timothy. Then you can correct and rebuke other people. The point is, before you use the Bible for others or on others, you need to use it on yourself. The power of the God, the power of the of, of God speaking in the Scriptures, the power of the Word of God is that it leads us to Jesus. And it does that by humbling us, showing us our sin, showing us our failure, showing us our need. And only, only when we experience the Bible being used on us in that way, leading us to Jesus, are we able to help other people know and understand the Scriptures. Every day, a quick comment on the everyday, everyday reading of the Bible. Every day we will make a choice. We don't really usually realize at all that it's happening, but every day throughout the day we will have to answer the question, who's in charge? Who says I should do this or that? Who is my authority? The answer is settled in the Word of God. That's why we need it every day, to place ourselves under the authority of the God who made us. Lastly, preaching. Why should we hear the Word of God preached? 
2 Timothy 4.2 says, not only is the word of God to be read, it is to be preached. But the word preach in our culture, in our time, is not a very happy, acceptable word. It's a negative word. When we say, this person is being preachy, they're preaching at me. We're saying, they're telling me what to do. They're coming at me from a moral high ground and saying, you're wrong and here's what you need to do. That's what we think of when we think of preaching, being forceful and judgmental. But the heart here and the clear main point of this passage is Paul telling Timothy, look at verse 1 in chapter 4 with me. What is this? This is a final and solemn charge. Timothy, preach the word. This is the last thing the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And he says, if I have one thing to leave behind, one thing to say, my final words that will carry on everything that I have given my life for. It's why I'm in prison. It's why I'm suffering. Timothy, preach the word. This is maybe the most solemn and urgent and intense thing Paul ever wrote. Look at verse 1. Again, he says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, what is going on there? Paul is calling Timothy to think of his life in light of the greatest realities and the most somber truths. There is a God. Jesus, Israel, he's coming again. He is going to come. He's coming as judge, and his kingdom will reign forever. He's saying, in light of all these things, these solemn realities, here is the one thing I want you to remember. Preach the word. Okay. For a pastor, for me, this is very solemn and somber. Gives me clarity on what I am called to do. The solemn charge is preaching. But there's a flip side for all of us, for all Christians, including pastors, including myself. If the solemn charge is preaching, then our solemn need is preaching. Our great need is preaching. So if this is the solemn, most urgent duty of a leader in the church, then the solemn, most urgent need of every Christian and every person is preaching. I know that's an awkward thing to say while I'm up here preaching, but I'm saying it from the text here in Timothy, and then he goes on and explains why. Why do we need preach, preaching? And we'll look at this from the flip side. He's talking to a preacher and a pastor, but he's saying this for the sake of those who will listen to the preaching first. And we have uh, points here on the slides. It's so that we can be interrupted by the Word of God. He says, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Literally, bad seasons and good seasons. Preach the word. Is this talking about bad seasons and good seasons for Timothy or for the people who are listening? Commentators are divided, but I think it has to do with those who are listening. Because sometimes, there are times when we say about things in life, this isn't a good time for this. I'll get to that later. When it comes to listening to the Word of God and what God says in His Word, sometimes we want to hear what God has to say. Sometimes we're not all that interested in it. Sometimes we're receptive and open. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we feel like the Word is getting through to us, and sometimes it doesn't feel like anything. 
Here Paul is saying there's a solemn urgency to God's word. And what that means is God has the right to interrupt us. I don't like being interrupted when I'm doing something. I don't like being interrupted when I'm focused on something. But Paul is saying here, God has the right, no matter what season it is, to interrupt you and say, you need to see this. So in preaching, when we listen, we're not in charge. We don't just get to go, okay, I'm reading this, close the book, I'll get to that later, let me put it on the shelf. God interrupts us in this time with his word. And this gets to the heart of what preaching is, how it's different than just teaching or a lecture. It includes teaching, that's here, but it's more than preaching. It's not a moral lesson. It's not telling people what to do. To preach, the definition of preaching is to proclaim or to announce. So the person who is making an announcement is not a teacher, but in the Bible is called a herald. A herald is somebody who says before a group of people, hey everyone, I have an announcement to make. And preaching is, the announcement is this. I have an announcement to make about reality. Jesus is Lord. There is a new world coming where Jesus is Lord and King. That is the essence of preaching. And letting people come to grips with that reality. It is a statement of what God has done and who he is. It's making that announcement. This is why in the very first sermon that was ever preached, the apostle Peter got up and he starts announcing to all the people gathered there. He says, this is what happened. This is what's going on. There is a new world. Jesus is Lord. And guess what people said? What are we supposed to do? Because he didn't give any application in that sermon. He didn't say this is what you're supposed to do. He stood up and made an announcement about reality. And everyone said, what's the application? And he said, repent of your sins and be baptized into the name of Jesus. So more could be said, but when you come to preaching, come ready and willing and expecting to be interrupted by the reality of the gospel. Secondly, to be interrupted by God's word, to be reminded of how the word works. Paul says, preach with all patience. The word works slowly over time. Don't expect a dramatic experience in, in listening to preaching. Timothy, don't expect immediate results. Why? Not because of the power of the word that it's lacking. It's because of the slowness of the human heart and ongoing sinfulness and reluctance and hardness. Change happens slowly. We may hear a great sermon and our lives are impacted immediately sometimes, but the normal way that we grow is slowly. We don't see it happening over time. Jesus said it's like a seed that gets planted and grows organically. We don't see plants grow day by day, but slowly they grow and they bear fruit. That is how the word works. So as we listen to a sermon, we take what we hear with us. In the words of our catechism, as it answers the question, how do I listen to the word of God? You meditate on it after you hear it. You confer of it, meaning you think about it. You hide it in your hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in your life. 
Third reason we need preaching is to understand the application of the word. Only a brief comment here. Paul says, have great patience. It happens slowly. And teach. So proclaim and announce, but also teach. To be effectively corrected or rebuked by someone, you usually want to know why. Give me some reasons. Give me some explanation. Help me understand to be effectively encouraged if you are suffering, if things are difficult in your life. You don't just need to be told, God will comfort you. You want to be able to understand why and how. So teaching is important. This is where logic is on fire, the Martin Lloyd-Jones quote. When we listen to a sermon, we should come ready to think, to listen with a readiness of mind, to say, how does this work? Is it true? How does this show itself in the Bible? We come ready to be taught and to think. Fourthly, to hear from God what we don't want to hear. The time will come, verse 3, chapter 4, when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. There are parts of the Bible we don't want to deal with. We don't want to hear about those things. Left to ourselves, we will edit the Bible. We will study it maybe to satisfy our curiosity, kind of as a hobby, and we'll tend to find teachers and podcasts and blogs and articles that tell us what we want to hear, that reinforce what we already think. This is why it's important to listen to expository preaching, and this is what I hope to do, this is what we hope to do as a church. Expository preaching, it means you take a passage of Scripture, you go through the books of the Bible, you expose, not impose. You expose and reveal and show and demonstrate what is there. So when we come to listen to preaching, we should all come expecting to be told things that we don't want to hear, things that we would rather not be told. And the last, this is a personal convicting for me as a preacher. The question that you might be asking, well, there are all kinds of preaching, pre preachers out there, all kinds of pastors preaching. What about who we should listen to? Well, there's help here. Timothy is told by Paul, preach even if you lose your life for preaching. Who should you listen to? You should listen to someone who is willing to die to preach to you. That's what happened to Paul. That's what Paul is telling Timothy to take up. Join with me, he says in chapter 1, in suffering for the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. But God appointed me as a herald, an announcer, and a preacher, and a teacher. Listen to someone who needs to hear what he says even more than he needs to say it to you, who will endure hardship to serve you. That part was for me very convicting, but I know this might not be your church forever and ever. As you ask yourself, who should I listen to as a preacher? Paul says, someone who will die to serve you. 
by teaching you the word of God. They're not in it for themselves, but they're in it to announce the gospel to you, people they love. Final, final thought. Every day then, what's our everyday liturgy? It should go something like this. It should include the hearing and the reading of the word of God. That is how God will be with you in the everyday. Do you want that? Then read it and continue in it. So you would see, know, and trust Jesus. And you'd be trained by him to live in right relationship with him and others. And lastly, preach it. Are you saying, preach it to who? Go out and preach it on the streets to other people? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Preach it to yourself. Sometimes we use the phrase, preach the gospel to yourself. And the reality is, Inside our souls and minds and hearts, there is some message being preached. It's a message that's saying, this is what's real. This is who you are. This is what you need for today. What we're meant to do is take a hold of that conversation in our hearts and inject the truth of the gospel into it and say, no, self, no, Eric, this is the truth. This is the good news. I have an announcement that you need to live by today. Though you are broken and sinful and limited, Jesus is a great Savior. And you can trust in him. And we need that every day. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We pray that more and more and more and more we would experience your presence in your word, that you would surprise us with your powerful presence, that we would know it's more than just a book we're carrying around, words on a page, words that we hear, but you would meet us. And in doing so, that we would be able to submit to your authority, believing and trusting that you are good as you lead us time and time again out of ourselves and draw us to Jesus, your son, in whom we know is life and wholeness and everything it means to be alive as a human being. Lead us to him. Help us trust in your authority and bring great power when we need to hear the announcement again over our lives, in our hearts. Help us do that for each other and help us hear again the good news that Jesus Christ is Savior. We pray all this in his name. Amen.